Readings from Mark 9, verse 14 to 29. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And they asked him, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it's often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw what a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Great. It's worth having those Bible verses that we've looked at together in front of you. Um, because we, we're going to refer to them as we go. Uh, it's kind of a, an interesting story that we've just read together. And um, uh, particularly if you're new, again, it's, it's kind of ha- handy, I suppose, because it enables us to have a bit of an overview as to where we are now in this uh, Gospel of Mark that we've been studying. We want to know more about Jesus and, and more about the central claims of the Christian faith. And so we've been going back to the primary sources and looking at the Gospel of Mark and taking our time through that. And um, we're going to see today uh, that the, the, this idea of the kingdom of God um, comes really to the top in our thinking. So the kingdom of God, we'll see today, it clashes. The kingdom of God pushes. The kingdom of God is received. And the kingdom of God is applied. Okay, so four um, teachings about the kingdom of God. Uh, if we want to understand Jesus, uh, particularly from uh, the gospel um, uh, accounts in the Bible, it's important that we understand the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Way back at the beginning of Mark, um, Jesus emerges on the scene in Mark 1.15. He said to his listeners, this is kind of his big idea, he said uh, that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. And then he embarks on his, his mission, which seems to be to show and tell the kingdom of God, to show and tell it, to declare and demonstrate it, and then to call people into the kingdom of God. And if you're, if you're not sure if this is a new term for you, or maybe uh, you know, just want to refresh you, the kingdom of God, I suppose we could understand it as God's realm, where God rules. And in that realm, in that kingdom, is the place of his presence. That's where he, he, he positions himself specially. It's where his favor is, his blessing is. If you live in the kingdom of God, you'll know about it. Your life uh, will, will overflow with abundance, says the Bible. Uh, you'll be in the place of blessing and favor. Uh, but as we're going to see in a few moments, the kingdom of God clashes. When it, when, it, 
When it, when it comes to bear, when it, when, it, when it gets fleshed out on the earth, it clashes. Because when the kingdom of God comes, and we've seen this time and again in the Gospel of Mark, it doesn't just come into a vacuum, as if there's nothing there, and then Jesus appears and sets up this new kingdom. Uh, no, that's not how it works, because the kingdom of God displaces the kingdom that is already there on, on the world, uh, in the world, sorry. Uh, and the Bible describes that in a number of different ways. Uh, the kingdom of darkness... Uh, the place, you know, the kingdom of sin, I suppose, uh, the realm of the, the evil one. Um, all, the, all these ways that the Bible uses to describe the kingdom that's already there. And, and when God comes in, in power through his son Jesus, um, as his kingdom is advanced, there's a clash of kingdoms. Um, uh, John Wimber called it power encounters. You know, this sort of, uh, um, I suppose you could describe it, you know, when, when uh, the warm front and the cold front uh, of two weather systems collide. They don't just sort of peaceably mingle. Uh, that's where you get thunder. That's where you get lightning. That's where storms are, are by and large created, when these two things clash together. And so we see that here time and again. Um, kingdoms clash. And, and so if we want to understand Jesus, we have to understand this, this, this wider uh, concept of the kingdom of God coming to the earth. Uh, and last week, we looked at this uh, literally, I suppose, and theologically, the high point of uh, the gospel, one of them anyway, um, is that Jesus went up the mountain with uh, his inner circle, uh, Peter, James, and John, the three disciples, uh, and they went up and he said he was transfigured. He became uh, glorified, uh, almost like a heavenly being in front of them for a few moments. And so uh, we pick up the story then um, as, as, as him, as Jesus and his three followers are walking down the mountain again back to what is taking place below. And so what we see today is what's happening below after this amazing transfiguration kind of thing. If, you, if you're uncertain about the story, you can go back uh, and either listen to the podcast from last week or, or read the scripture. Even better, read the scripture uh, for yourself. And, and what Jesus finds, it says there in verse 14 and 15, uh, is that there's, a, there's an argument ongoing. And uh, at the center of this argument is, is a father who has a son, and the father has brought the son to the disciples, those that were remaining, I suppose, at the, the foot of the, the hill, the mountain. And it seems that the son is afflicted. Uh, he's a son who is suffering. And he brought the son to the disciples. They might heal him or do something or help him, something, anything just to reduce his suffering. And so the Bible describes what's, what's going on. It says in verse 17, um, I, you know, in the words of the Father, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit in him. Uh, a spirit. Jesus later on describes in verse 25 as an unclean spirit. That's what we're dealing with here. Uh, it's a spirit, apparently, that makes the boy mute. I suppose we would say non-communicative in, in today's Language, not only that, the, the spirit, it seems to be, uh, creates seizures. Um, the boy loses power, he falls to the ground, it says, foams of the mouth, he grinds his teeth, he becomes rigid. And, and, and this is described in verse 20 as convulsions. And, and those convulsions are so severe and so frequent and so out of the blue that, that, that he's had injuries over the years where he's fallen either into water uh, through these convulsions or into the fire. And if you're from a medical background in the healthcare business, or maybe you have someone in the family with a condition, you'd recognize those symptoms and you think to yourself, well, that just sounds rather like epilepsy. Epilepsy is that uh, chronic disease where, where people have at various times, in various ways, convulsions, fits, uh, so to speak. 
And in addition to epilepsy, you might say, well, this boy has also got a developmental delay. He's non-communicative, can't speak, possibly, you know, judging by verse 25, he can't hear, maybe he's deaf as well, and maybe he has difficulty walking as well. The father brings him, Jesus says, bring him. They brought the boy, it suggests that he's got motor skill problems as well. He just can't walk as well as a boy of his age should do. And so if that was me and someone turned up like that in, to see me in hospital, I would say, well, you know what, let's, let's get this kid a brain scan. Let's get an MRI, several MRIs. Let's scan his whole body. Let's get some bloods. You know, we get some basics. Let's do his electrolytes. Let's do some fancy genetic tests and send them off to the labs. Let's get to the bottom of what's going on here. Um, let, let, let's offer him supportive therapies to, to help him and, and support him and his family. All of which, by the way, are great things, are good things. But here, in this text as we have it, that is not the only thing that is going on in this boy's condition. He has, according to Jesus in verse 25, an unclean spirit. And uh, a spirit that Jesus tells off, rebukes in verse 25, commands it to come out, and the boy is freed. That's what Jesus does. I don't know if, you, if you're sitting listening to this and maybe you're, you're, you're thinking of this Bible text for the first time. Perhaps you have suddenly got a thousand questions about what exactly is going on here. I mean, what is this all about? Um, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, okay, fine. They obviously believe that this is some spirit thing here, but this is just evidence of a you know, pre-scientific mindset. This is over 2,000 years ago, give or take. Um, they didn't understand the things that we understand now. They haven't had the, the uh, um, scientific knowledge that we have. Uh, they're just simply mislabeling a, a physical problem, a, you know, a, a, a neurological issue. Today we've got knowledge. Um, but I don't think that we can necessarily make that conclusion. Jesus, as we've been seeing over the last few weeks and months, is very insightful, and he is clearly able to, to detect or distinguish what is a disease that needs healing, and what is caused by a demon that needs casting out? He knows, and, and, and he never fails. Furthermore, no one contests uh, any of the characters in this story, whether it's the boy's father who suggested it in the first place, the disciples, or even the scribes that were arguing here. You know, these, uh, uh, the scholars, famously skeptical as they were, no one uh, contests Jesus' um, understanding his diagnosis. This is a uncle an unclean spirit that's causing all this. Today, of course, uh, by and large, generally in the West, the West, uh, cultural West, uh, we rule out most things spiritual. Um, especially in the realm of science and in my, my background of medicine, we rule out the role of the spiritual. Um, we think, well, this is purely a physical thing or purely maybe a psychological element, but definitely uh, something that we can treat if we get the diagnosis correct. But, but this itself, you know, ruling out the spiritual is, is very much a minority view when you look at the entire globe, uh, you know, in very, very grand terms. Uh, the majority of people across the world in various non-Western cultures and societies happily and easily, readily accept the role of the spiritual in everyday life. It's just part of life. It's, 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 it's obvious that there is a spiritual realm, both within us as human beings, they would say, but also out in the world. You know, we, we interact with the spiritual on a daily basis. This is the majority position outside of the Western bubble that we live in. And the Bible shares similar insights here. 
it, it, it describes and defines the reality of what we'll, what we'll say is demonic power, evil power, uh, the power of darkness. Uh, it, 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 it tells us about the, the influence that the power of darkness can have on people and, and nations and societies. Uh, and it shows, as it does in this uh, situation here, uh, how evil, personified specific evil, can cause oppression and suffering and misery to individuals. Just to be clear here, the Bible is not teaching us that epilep- every course of epilepsy is caused by a demon. That's not what it's saying. That's not what we believe. But it is at least showing us here, at the very least, that the demonic, the, the, the evil, the darkness, I suppose, can masquerade from time to time as an illness, as an organic disease. At the very least, it can have a significant factor in one's symptoms. So we have this kingdom of darkness uh, where, where, where Satan, who's a fallen angel, and, and, and his demons, you know, other angels that fell, um, they, they reign over that. And it's a war with the kingdom of God that's being brought by the Son of God, the, the King, Jesus himself. And, and so there's this clash of these two kingdoms. Uh, the, the, the kingdom of darkness seeks to cause misery. It robs life. It dehumanizes people. And so when these two uh, kingdoms clash together, we see these power encounters. We see these ding-dongs between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And that's what we're seeing here in this text. And we've seen uh, multiple times over our study so far. Does this happen today? Is the kingdom of God still clashing with the kingdom of darkness in our day, in our age? Absolutely. Yes, it is. Of course it is. And as I hinted at earlier, in my experience of hospital medicine, more often than we would like to admit as medics, there is often a significant spiritual element to many of the things that we deal with. Not all things, but many more things than we would like to admit. Let me give examples here. Destructive behaviors that lead to various illnesses or accidents, so, so to speak. Life-controlling addictions, uh, certain chronic conditions, even attempts at suicide and self-harm. There's no doubt in my mind that the kingdom of darkness influences much of this, lays behind much of this. At the very least, it's certainly part of the mix. So we see here that the kingdom of God, when it comes in power and advances, it is displacing another kingdom and it clashes. But then the second thing that we're seeing here, it follows on from this, is that the kingdom of God pushes it away. It pushes it back. See, the two cannot coexist. They can't mingle together like oil and water. It's just inhospitable. There is a struggle, and yet... As we see time and again, the kingdom of God is supreme. It is a greater kingdom. It always wins. All right, it's not, it's not a brute force here. It's the kingdom of God. And, and the more we sing about God and know about God and learn about him from the scripture, we realize that that is a, a wonderful thing, the kingdom of God, the place uh, of his loving reign. It is just simply incompatible with the values and the aims of darkness. Uh, the, the kingdom of God is a place of restoration. Right? It's a place of rescue where the lost are found, where, where life is given and, and, and received and, and enjoyed in abundance. And as such, it pushes back the darkness. 
because it is greater. How does it do that? Well, again, we have two uh, indicators in our, in our scripture today. Uh, two, two ways that the kingdom of God pushes back the kingdom of darkness. Number one, because of the authority of Jesus. Okay, again, I feel like I'm saying this all the time this morning, but we're reviewing, I guess, you know, we've seen time and again that Jesus has authority. You know, back in chapter 1, verse 22, Jesus is teaching to many crowds, and it says that they are astonished at his teaching because he taught as one with authority, not like the religious experts, the scribes and the scholars. Later on, in chapter 127, this new teaching, said the crowds, and with authority, he, he can even command the unclean spirits and they obey. The authority of Jesus. That, that's why the kingdom of God pushes back the kingdom of darkness. He speaks to the sea and it obeys. He speaks to the waves and they settle. He speaks to disease and it goes. Jesus has authority in his very words. And we see this in verse 25. It says he, he speaks to this unclean spirit. He rebukes it. Tells it off. Get out of him, he says. He commands him to leave, and it is gone. Jesus has authority. That's why the kingdom of God is pushing back the kingdom of darkness so effectively. There's a really famous passage in uh, Philippians 2. You've maybe heard it. At the name of Jesus, it says, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus has authority. And that authority means that he is always successful when he acts. Uh, he, he always wins. He's always victorious. Uh, in, in other words, nothing shall stand against Jesus because he has that authority. And if you, uh, this morning as you're listening to this, are experiencing or have experienced some kind of intrusion or oppression uh, from the kingdom of darkness, know this. Jesus has authority. He has authority over the kingdom of darkness. That's the first way that the kingdom of God pushes back the kingdom of darkness. The second way, uh, authority of Jesus, the, the compassion of Jesus. Verse 22, the second half of verse 22. Uh, the, the desperate father comes to, to Jesus and says, uh, where is it? If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. What he's saying to Jesus is, apply your authority in my direction, to, to my boy. Take this authority that you have over the kingdom of darkness and, and, and flesh it out in his case. Compassion. Have compassion. And again, we've seen that Jesus has compassion on his people. You know, uh, the 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus looked on them as they were sat down, hungry, desperate, eager. And it said that he looked on them with compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. That's Jesus' heart, his compassion, this deep concern from the gut, yearning for the lost, for the oppressed, for the afflicted. Jesus feels it. That's what compassion is to Jesus. And look at Jesus' response. What do you mean if, he says, let's paraphrase, what do you mean if you can in verse 23? If, don't you know me, he would say to the father of the son, haven't you heard about me? 
What do you mean, if? Of course I can heal him. Of course I have compassion. Of course I have authority. What do you mean, if? I'm not going to leave him in that state. Says Jesus, I'm not going to turn you down. I never turn anybody down. I'm not going to say no, ever. This is how the kingdom of God pushes back the kingdom of darkness. This authority of Jesus and yet his gut-wrenching compassion for those who are afflicted. And he's both, of course. Yeah, he's, he's complete authority and he has this deep compassion. And of course, he is the same today towards us who suffer and are afflicted, especially with those who are oppressed by the kingdom of darkness. Those who seek healing, those who seek deliverance, who need help, who need rescue. Jesus has authority and Jesus has compassion. Okay. So in the kingdom of God clashes, the kingdom of God pushes. Thirdly, the kingdom of God is received. You know, something that we have to grasp or hold on to, something we have to accept, everybody has to accept, to activate it, so to speak, to, to enter it. it. requires a response, it's received. And the Bible uses commonly this word faith. That's how we receive the kingdom of God, that's how we access what we're talking about here. Uh, Jesus, of course, comes down the mountain with his inner three, Peter, James, and John, and he looks down, he sees this bickering, and it's taken place this, this skirmish between the, the scribes and the remaining disciples. And the, the scribes are trying to tackle them down. We don't know exactly what they were complaining about or, or moaning about. Jesus comes down. He sees that. He sees the desperation of this father and his boy, possibly this, this disabled child, you know, mute. He sees the suffering. He, he sees the failed, uh, well-intentioned but failed attempts of the disciples to do something about this this boy but this is like over their pay scale they'll learn of course but at this moment it was over their pay scale and how does Jesus respond in verse 19 he looks and almost with a sense of grievance and and uh, uh, heaviness and weightiness in his heart he says oh faithless generation how, how long am I to be with you how long am I to bear with this? I've been teaching you and showing you the kingdom for what, two years now? And I haven't been behind the door about that. I've been, I've been teaching to crowds. I've been healing hundreds if not thousands of people. I've been, I've been speaking to the wind and the waves. How long must I continue before you get this? Before you trust me? Before you accept my claims for yourself? How long before you see? I'm doing it for you, he says. And you still don't get it. It's kind of like uh, putting presents under the Christmas tree, you know, for your kids or something, or your family. And they're still there six months later, and it turns out people have just been looking at them. What a, what a great looking present over there. Gathering dust. No one does that, right? We know that. Presents are given to be opened and enjoyed and received with thanksgiving. Take, enjoy it. And it seems to be this generation have just left the, the gifts under the tree. Um, and Jesus said, you need faith. 
Faith, have faith. He says, trust in me. And, and when you do that, he says to the Father, in verse 23, when you do that, all things are possible. Right? Nothing is off the table when you trust in me. When you recognize my authority and my compassion, there is nothing off the table. When the kingdom of God is coming, it is clashing, it is pushing, but it's not something that happens around you that you just sort of look at from afar. The kingdom of God is coming, and it is for you to enter, uh, for you to experience faith. It's how you access the kingdom of God. That's, that's how you receive it, says Jesus. Let me just be a little, little clear with, with, with that in case I don't want to be, uh, come across uh, in a way that you can misunderstand. It's not just faith in general that Jesus is talking about here. Like, just have faith. Right? Faith in something or nothing or blindness. or d- As long as you've got faith, you're okay. That's not what he's saying. It's faith in me. It's faith in a person. It's faith that Jesus has authority. It's faith that he has compassion. Believe in him. He's the content. He's the, the, the uh, identity of our faith. And so when you trust in him, that's, that's how you receive the kingdom of God. The father gets it in verse 24 when he listens to Jesus' response. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. Does that not describe your faith? Uh, it does describe mine perfectly. You know, I believe, he says. Like, I, I get it. I see it. I, I, I accept at some level or other, this is true and it works and, and I want it to be true and I love it. But help my unbelief, Jesus. My faith is weak. You know, um, my hands are frail. Give me, give me more faith, Jesus, that I can truly believe and enter the kingdom and receive its benefits. Give me faith to, to hold on to all this stuff. Give me faith to believe in you. Confidence in you. That's what faith is, I guess. Confidence in Jesus. That's how we access this. Before we move to our final point, just note for a second here that that, that when the kingdom of God advances, do you see it brings death before it brings life? Uh, Where am I getting this from? Verse 26. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it, that is, this unclean spirit or this demon, came out. And the boy was like a corpse. So the most of them said, he's dead. Out this thing comes, kicking and screaming. At the the word of Jesus, the command of Jesus. And yet the boy, it says, is like a corpse. He's dead, okay? We're not just saying he's taking a nap here. Okay, he's pale. His chest is not rising and falling. He is not moving. His eyes are shut. He looks dead. People in general know what a dead body looks like as opposed to one that's alive. He looked dead. And then look at verse 27. It says, But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. That, that, that Greek word that's translated lifted him up is anastemi. Anastemi, which is related to anastasis, the word for resurrection. Literally speaking here, Jesus resurrected him. Okay, whatever condition or, or stage of death this boy was in, he wasn't going anywhere until Jesus reached down, took up his hand. And resurrected him. 
See, that's what happens when Jesus comes to you, when, when the kingdom of God uh, breaks upon you, I suppose, or in, within you. And Jesus, by the way, went through it himself. We know that in the gospel. He went through death before life. Yeah? He, he gave himself in death. And as he was on the cross, he wrestled with your sin, uh, with the darkness that, that, is, that is around us and sometimes in us. He, he, he wrestled with the evil, he, the, the, the devil, all that stuff. He took that down to the grave. In your place. With his power, not yours, because you and I would have no chance on your own. And yet he rose victorious. He left those enemies in the grave, buried, vanquished, defeated. And yet he rose supreme, the only one, the king. Victorious. See, the kingdom of God comes through death and then the life of Jesus. The kingdom of God comes to you by faith. And that will lead to death and then life. See, when, just to be specific, when the work of God is, is happening within you, there are oftentimes is a, is, a, is a certain dying, a death that takes place. Um, and Jesus was saying in, in uh, Mark 8, a couple of passages before us, you know, if you want to hang on to your life, he says, ultimately, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, for my sake and for the gospel, you'll save it. There's a kind of death that needs to happen when the kingdom of God comes. It's kind of like a surgeon's knife, you know, cutting away the disease. It has to be done. It hurts. And for you, when the, when the kingdom of God comes to you and, and is at work in you, that cutting away needs to take place. Maybe it's that old life. You know, the remnant of the old life needs to go. Patterns of, of behavior that you know are not honoring to God need to be chopped out. Selfish living, you know, spiritual darkness that you have embraced somehow or other. Strongholds, spiritual strongholds need to be demolished. All that can feel like a, a kind of a death, you know, a decay. And necessarily, when the kingdom of God, it kills stuff off. You know, it clashes, it pushes, it's kind of violent. It doesn't happen smoothly, necessarily. And you will experience that in yourself, in your own life, in some way or other. But as we are seeing here, and as we see chiefly in the cross and resurrection of Jesus, death gives way to life in the kingdom of God. Jesus wounds and he heals you know, he casts out, and yet he lifts up by the hand. He resurrects. Did it for this boy. He did it in himself, and he does it for you too when the kingdom of God comes. I know it's difficult to read. It's difficult to accept. But it's important to know for those of us, those of you who want to take seriously being a disciple of Jesus, who want to respond in faith to Jesus, it's important you know, particularly at the outset, there is a saying no, there is a death, there is a putting away, as well as a receiving of life and the blessing that comes from the kingdom. And yet, as the boy experiences, and you shall too, it is worth it, it is worth it, it is worth it.
It's the life of a disciple. The kingdom of God is received. Fourthly and finally then, I want to touch on this. The kingdom of God is applied. It's applied. Clashes, pushes, it's received, and therefore it is applied. Therefore, it does something for us and to us today. The Apostle Paul writes in a letter to a, um, a church in Ephesus, he says this, we do not ultimately wrestle against flesh and blood, he says, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What is he saying? He's saying that ultimately our struggle is spiritual. Ultimately, if you are a believer in Jesus, your ultimate struggle is with the forces of darkness, the forces of sin, death, and the devil. And the moment you become a follower of Jesus, yes, his resurrection life is given to you. Yes, the power of the Spirit comes to you to enable you to live for him and enjoy his love. But at that moment, as you come to faith in Jesus, you are entering the battlefields. Know that. It is not chill out until heaven. It is enter the battlefield. Get your weaponry, get your defenses, get your training. You'll find all that in the church. Amen. But now you enter the battlefield, the arena. You're part of the kingdom of God right now. I don't want this to create fear in your heart, in your mind. Think, flip, that sounds awful. I think I'll just stay as I am. Thank you very much not fear I want you to have confidence in Jesus because there is power in Jesus it's his power Revelation 12 uh, the apostle John again says this God's people have conquered the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony that's how they've conquered the enemy not because they're clever and they've got their theology straight or you know, they've lived good lives. That's not how they conquer the enemy. He is too great for all of us on our own. But they have conquered the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, that is Jesus, and the word of their testimony. In other words, the work of Jesus and the word about Jesus. That's how we conquer the evil one, according to Scripture. You know, there is great power and authority that is given to you in Jesus. If you are one of his disciples, you share that with him. How then are we to act as people as we respond to this kind of teaching, this stuff here that we see in the scripture? Because if the Bible is true, evil exists, the devil is active, he is deceptive, he works against the church, and people, individuals, not only uh, communities and nations, can be oppressed by unclean spirits or demons. If that is true, and we have, I have no reason to believe it is not, how then are we to help those who are in the grip of spiritual darkness? What do we do when we are clashing and you're in the middle of the storm? Um, let's look to the Bible. Let's not look to Hollywood when it comes to understanding. Don't, don't think of horror films that you may or may not have seen or read or whatever it happens to be. They are not based on scripture, okay? Let's look to the Bible. So if you or I or anyone in this church is faced with a situation uh, where they are dealing with or possibly dealing with, let's say, uh, the kingdom of darkness or, 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 or this sort of clash of the two kingdoms, what do we do? 
We can sum it up in one word. Verse 29, he, that is Jesus. When they were asking, why can we deal with this on our own? Jesus said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. When faced with the situation where there's a clash of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the darkness, pray. It's the bottom line. Pray with people, pray for people, pray over people, pray for yourself, pray. Let me give you four practical steps or hints, I suppose, that, that you may uh, benefit from if you are maybe standing, you want to pray, someone comes to you for prayer, someone just shares and you say, let me pray. Here's four things, uh, four practical ways, um, just so that Hollywood does not dictate how we go about this. The Bible does. Number one, ask good questions. Okay, verse 21, Jesus sees this. He knows, right? He knows what's going on because he's Jesus. We are not. You do not have that insight, neither do I, um, that he has. But yet even Jesus in verse 21 asks good questions. Tell me more. How long has this been happening to him, says Jesus in verse 21. So the first step, I think, when it comes to uh, seeking to pray, uh, you know, when we're in this clash of the two kingdoms, ask good questions. We're thinking primarily if someone comes to you uh, uh, with issues or troubles or whatever you happen to be, um, physical symptoms, you name it, just struggle in life in general. Uh, Number one, ask good questions, just like Jesus does. You know, ask what, tell me more about what's going on. I would love to help, I'd love to pray. You know, the more you share, the more I can pray with knowledge. How do you feel? How can I pray for you? Um, what would you like to happen as we pray? Let's, let's not assume that we know what the individual wants who comes to us and, uh, and wants help or prayer. Um, let's not assume we know what they think or what they feel. Let's, let's ask, allow them to share what they want. It's a way of honoring and, and dignifying um, people in our community. So ask good questions. Number two, pray in Jesus' name. Pray in Jesus' name. Okay, it's not a magic formula. You know, it's not as if you can rattle out and then just add in Jesus' name and then suddenly, zoop, it's, it's all good. But pray in Jesus' name. Okay, the order of our words, the form of our words are not primarily important. What is important is that we are acknowledging and claiming the authority and the compassion of Jesus for this person. We are asking Jesus to act as he did in Mark chapter 9. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. That's why often we say that together when we're praying, in Jesus' name. It's in his power. It's in his compassion. And um, a a little phrase that I read about some some years ago, which I found very helpful. Um, If you're praying or want to pray, and you're praying uh, for somebody, Lord, please help help them. You know, we bring this issue to you, um, whatever it happens to be. You can add this. If there's any spiritual darkness that is part of this issue, you know, we, 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 I bind it in Jesus' name. I pray against it, whatever, whatever wording you want to use. Because we, we don't know, do we? We don't know when someone comes. They're never going to come generally and say, hey, you know what, I've got a demon I need, I need help with. Can you help me? Um, they may do that from time to time, but, but incredibly rarely. Most people probably don't, um, don't always have that insight. 
Um, but, you know, we can add this. And, and we're not judging, we're not saying this is exactly what the issue is, but we're just saying, Lord, you know, we're aware that the, the, the spiritual realm is at war against the church. And so, Lord, if there's any element of spiritual darkness, any element of evil which is pressing in on this person, which is oppressing them somehow, which is making much of their suffering and their symptoms, Lord, would you deal with that? We, 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 we pray the authority of Jesus would come and deal with that. So, so that's, that's a good, like a non, um, you know, non-scary, non-confrontational way of, of just bringing in and suggesting. And if it's not, that's okay. So pray in Jesus' name, ask your questions. Thirdly, um, when we're praying, um, listen to God. Okay, I'm a firm believer in praying with our ears open. Um, listen to God. Listen to God, the Holy Spirit. As we are talking with the person, as we're praying for the person, listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, often he, he may uh, choose to reveal uh, himself or something uh, to you. He might want to speak to you. He might want to teach you something. Uh, he might want to guide you in a certain way. Um, listen to the Holy Spirit. It's obviously uh, slightly more easy to do when there's maybe a couple of people praying over or with uh, someone who's asking for prayer. Uh, listening to the Holy Spirit. He might give you a prophetic word. He might give one of you a scripture, for example, that is particularly important for this person's uh, suffering and struggling. Uh, he might grant an insight. He might even give a, a, a word of knowledge, you know, sometimes a name that you have no idea about comes into your mind. And, and, and you might say to the person, look, um, do you know of anyone by this name? Or, or you know, is this some significant for you or whatever? And again, that might open up an, another avenue that, that you can pray into uh, and, um, and pray over. So pray with our ears open and ask, what, what do you want me to pray for here, God? Where, where do you want me to go with us? Fourthly, and finally, the fourth step or the fourth practical hint, lead towards faith in Jesus. You know, lead towards faith in Jesus. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. That's what we want for ourselves, for our church, and for anyone that we're serving or helping or praying over, or praying with. Lead towards faith in Jesus. Whether they have faith, lead them towards faith. Whether they already have some faith or other, lead them to deeper faith, growing faith, more faith. Lead them towards Jesus. It is him, it is his authority, it is his compassion that displaces the kingdom of darkness. That also might entail, of course, uh, the repentance side of things, the turning from some things. There might be some things that that individual has to reject in their lives, um, practices, let's say, um, beliefs, um, you know, experiences that are holding on to them. You know, they may have to repent of those things. Stop doing them, you know, particularly those, for example, who have, you know, experienced maybe dabbling or, or engaging with the occult or, or you know, uh, such things, um, you know, books or articles or whatever they may have, you know, get rid of that, burn it, destroy it, put it in the skip, whatever. You know, there are some things that people have to do in order to um, turn to faith in Christ as well. And so pray, pray. Continue as God leads. Um, this might last for five minutes. It might last for five hours. Who knows? Uh, go uh, with how God leads you. As we're praying for people, um, there may be some odd manifestations that happen. I don't want to freak you out, or certainly um, it's not common, but sometimes when we're praying for people, and particularly if there is a spiritual uh, darkness that is taking place over them and you're, you're praying, you're pushing that, sometimes people do make strange noises or odd things can happen. Um, that comes with a territory. 
Just remain calm. It's okay. Trust Christ uh, to do his work and his timing. And, and he will. Look, look, at, look at how terif- terrifying it was for all who watched this boy. It wasn't just a silent casting out. There was a, a torment. There was a screaming. There was a, you know, um, a falling down. And, and sometimes, sometimes that can happen too. Trust Christ. The kingdom of God clashes. It pushes back. But the king is on the throne. He has authority over all of us. And he calls us into the battlefield for our time to faithfully represent Jesus, his compassion for the lost. And so let's come to him. Let's come to him in Jesus' name. Should we stand? Let's pray.